Somebody give him praise. Stand up if you believe in the name of Jesus. Somebody give him praise. Stand up if you believe in the God of freedom. Somebody give him praise.
morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the 1030 service. Hi, everyone. If you guys look over to the front, it's my left. I think it's your right. We've got our friends with this service, the kids, the young, the young ones. We're excited to have them. Welcome to everyone watching from home. We pray that you'll experience Jesus this morning. If you all want to stand with me, we're going to jump into worship.
Good morning, River family. Good to see everyone here. Another beautiful day. Uh, man, great to see the River kids here. Round of applause for the River kids. Fantastic. So thanks also. Hey, welcome everybody online who found us. Either you're a River normal member pre-COVID and, and you watch every week or you, you've uh, found us today or or normally tune in maybe somewhere else. We can't wait for you guys who are local to get back with us. We're so glad you're all here. Uh, glad you found us and, and hope today will be a blessing to you as well. Um, also, we're right in the middle of the Following Jesus, the Art of Following Jesus series. And so if you don't have your, your brown notebook, we've, we've got some extras. If you need one, they're right over on the table. Uh, go grab one, grab a pencil. Um, and uh, I, I know one of the things I've gotten out of that the last few weeks is, you know, read the Bible, spend some time, whether it's a dip, a buoy swim, a, a peer-to-peer, maybe a buoy swim for me. I read Revelations in a couple of sittings, and that's some scary stuff in there, but uh, you keep the lights on, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we, we got victory. We find victory in Revelations, victory in Christ, so so that was a great uh, experience for me, and read the whole book of Thessalonians, uh, First Thessalonians, just, you know, like James said, read in big chunks, uh, get the whole picture, so Anyway, we'll be learning more about that today. Luke is going to be up later. But right now, I want to bring up my friend, my brother, Mike Keating, to give us a financial update. So come on up, Mike. Good morning, River Church. Uh, I come with uh, good news. They've asked me to give an update, um, kind of recap where we ended up 2020. And I don't know if you recall, but um, the last time the last time I was here, I shared about a struggle that I have with fear. And it's not that the, the struggle's gone away, but again, God has shown me some amazing things um, through how things ended up at the end of 2020 for the church. If you remember, we needed a little over $300,000 to cover all the expenses for the year and uh, we had three weeks left. And for someone like me who struggles with wanting to know what the future is and wanting to know what the outcome of things is gonna be before they happen, uh, it was a daunting number. And although Maybe a lot of people don't worry about the numbers for the church. I do. And I guess that's part of my job. <laughs> so during COVID, I had expressed how COVID for me led to so much uncertainty. And then as I've, as I've experienced the months through COVID, I've seen the uncertainty happen to so many people in so many different ways. You know, every, everything from loss 
to loss of jobs, to men that owned businesses that they had built for years, uh, struggling to keep them going. And again, for me, it just really wells up a lot of fear with inside myself. But let me tell you the good news. So we needed a little over $300,000 to cover our expenses for the year. Well, we got a little over $300,000. In fact, we got 15,000 extra dollars above our actual expenses. So really praising God for that and thanking the church for the generosity of people during a, a period of, of great uncertainty. One of the things during COVID that I really started to dig in and look after was the whole concept of fear and trust. And there's so many verses in the Bible that I've found where God says, do not fear. I am with you. And there, there was one from Jesus that I really liked, which was, he said to his disciples, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And if there's one thing that I've learned through COVID is that we have a God that we can trust. Now, do I believe that the outcome of everything that we're praying for and desire is, is now going to come true every time? No, I don't believe that. I think, I think suffering is part of our experience. But I, I do know what David had to say is true when he says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in the Lord. And if there's anything I've learned through this process, it's been that. That there's a mighty God we can trust. And that, that has led me to Romans 12.1, which says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's one thing I'm trying to do. I'm trying to renew my mind so that my struggle with fear is filled with Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I put my trust in the Lord. So that's my encouragement to you guys and thank you for your generosity. It's amazing. So thank you. Thank you, Mike. Man, what, what an amazing testimony. We, we have a, such a faithful God we can trust. And um, right now we're putting our trust. We, we have a special guest watching from Denver, Colorado today. And I'm going to try. I'm such a sap. But Kathy, we're so glad you're you're watching. And uh, River Kids, Kathy Plummer took over River Kids what a year or two ago, and it's just thriving. It's just a 
these kids, I, I see Kathy around, and, and she just epitomizes a life of abundant joy in Christ. Um, and she's been amazing mentor to my daughter. I'm just a granddad with a, with a kid in the River Kids. She's been such a blessing. And so, oh man, when, when, we, when I got the news, Kathy, I want you to know we just got on our knees and prayed right away. And our prayers are already being answered. We've got a good report today. We love you. We're glad you're watching. Can't wait to see you again. Our family loves you. We miss you. Can't wait for you to be home. And I want to bring up James right now. Just pray for Kathy. Thanks, James. Yeah, me and Tommy are fighting for who gets to pray for Kathy. I saw him wanting to break into it. Um, Kathy, we love you so much. And when, like Tommy said, when I think all of us heard that you were hurt, uh, it was like immediate. Stop everything. Drop everything. We're praying. And uh, we're still praying for you. And let's just do this for um, just a, we're going to take just like two minutes here all together as a as a community to just kind of quiet our hearts and direct our prayers to um, to that the Lord would heal Kathy's body and alleviate the pain and make this the most rapid recovery uh, with minimal damage. And so we're going to uh, just take a moment to pray. And I also want to encourage us as we're praying for Kathy to also just ke keep in mind um, those in our family that we want to lift up. I, th I see, you know, Bull Olson here and, and um, the Olsons as they continue to grieve the loss of their, uh, the matriarch of their, of their family. Uh, Janie Calvert, and as we all continue to grieve that loss, think about Sandy Heitzler um, and her, her son, Sean, as they grieve the loss of Joe and, and Bill, um, he was just out here a minute ago. He's probably doing something amazing. But, oh, there he is, Bill. And, Bill, we, we're praying for you. You're, you're in the thick of mourning um, for Cynthia. And every month brings new, new things, new losses. And, and we pray hope as well uh, for you, Bill. So we're going to take a moment. And uh, those of you watching from home or watching at a different time this week, uh, maybe just take a moment and, and pray with us. So let's do that, and I'll close us off. Lord, we come before you not as indiv just individuals, but as a community crying out. First of all, thank you for, Lord God, thank you so much for Kathy that she is, um, that she is, she's not okay, but that she's okay, that she's, Lord, with us, and um, there's no internal bleeding that, um, and that, Lord God, though she is in serious pain, we thank you for her, for sparing her life. And God, we pray now for a, a healing um, that your peace and your rest would just infuse her life and her space and her body. And God, her the bones that are broken, the muscles that are torn, the pain um, that, that all of this brings, Lord God, that you would just wrap her in your feathers. 
and strengthen her, Lord God. Thank you so much for her family, uh, her, her daughters who are here today serving in children's ministry. Flew home for that. God, thank you. Who are these people? Lord, we thank you so much for them. And God, we pray for um, the Olson family and, and the Calverts. And Lord, as they continue to process um, a new month without Janie. And we miss her so much, Lord. Um, we pray for Sandy and for Sean and for all of Joe's kids as they process another month without him. And we pray for Bill, Lord God, and, and Connor and Heather as they process another month without Cynthia. And yet, Lord, we know that these folks are with you in your presence in some mysterious way. We don't quite understand, God. They are at peace and at joy. And we, God, we love you. You make all things new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Tommy, should I just bring up our, okay. All right. It's my distinguished honor to bring up just an incredible dude uh, who's married to an incredible woman uh, that have been an incredible blessing to the River Church. Luke, as I said at the beach, I always like to go, Luke, kind of bring it deeper. Luke, Luke, Luke. So try to get as deep as you can. But Luke is, I heard the sermon already. So let me tell you, here's what I told him afterwards. I go, Luke, he said, oh, what should I do? Should I add anything? I said, Luke, if you change anything, I'm going to send you like angry emails if you change anything. So uh, it better be the Holy Spirit telling him to if he does. It's, it's a blessing to have you, Luke, in this community and um, you and Brittany. And I'm going to pray for you right now. So Lord, right. from a safe six-foot distance. Lord, thank you so much for Luke. Thank you for his heart, his life, and the hours and hours of study that went into this, not just this week and last week, but during seminary, during his education. Thank you for um, what you're going to speak to us. So open our hearts now. Make us pliable. Uh, make us submitted, submitted to your will. Humble us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, James. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Good. Uh, Kathy, again, you need just one more voice of someone just saying that we love you so much. And we know that the ski accident was rough and bad, but we also know who you are and your character. And we are just so thankful that you are a part of the church and we are praying with you. And although we're distant right now, um, we want to be on this journey with you. And so we love you so much. Uh, as James, James said to me, trying to give it back to him, if this is going to stick for him to call me Luke, I need to call him, hey, James. It's going to go both ways. Uh, my name is Luke, and I am the pastor of student ministries, which uh, means that I get to hang out with your junior high and high school students, which I absolutely love. It's been a ton of fun. It's on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights. Um, and God is moving, and he is at work. And it's been so much fun for me to be able to see how God is capturing the hearts and the minds of these students and working in them and, and leading them closer to him. And it really just has been such a, a pleasure and a privilege uh, to be participating with God in that. Um, so thank you. Um, just real quick, is there a show of hands? Or are there parents here who have a student in Tide or Rush? Show of hands. Yeah, some hands up. Okay, everyone else who doesn't have their hand up, look around. And these are the parents that are hoping I'm going to teach on the fifth commandment this morning, which is to honor your father and mother. All right, they're hoping I'm going to give them some spiritual leverage here that they can uh, take to their kids. That's right, Luke. Jack, I see you guys. 
Fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Okay, this is for the parents right now. Take it home. That's good. This is what they want. But we are going to talk about honor, right? And this is part of honoring your father and mother. And so we as a church have been going through this series, which is kind of shifting our focus on following Jesus. What does it mean for us to follow the words and the ways of Jesus? How do we do it now in 2021 in the midst of pandemic and all the craziness that's going on? How do we follow Jesus? And we've been looking at different practices of Jesus, different these concepts, these topics that kind of incorporate the life of Jesus and how we can uh, imitate those today, how we ingrain them into our own lives. And we see this as this artistic endeavor where we are allowing the life of Jesus to then paint our own lives, to shape and mold our own lives so that we follow him, we look like him, we imitate him. And so today we're going to talk about the concept of honor and how honor shows up in the life of Jesus. And I must confess up front that this uh, has been a hard topic for me to prepare for because it's so foreign in our culture today. We don't live in a culture that's kind of this honor and shame based. I'm sure you might have heard this before, but there's other cultures, Asian cultures, Middle Eastern cultures, that kind of operate on a different conception of reality. They have a different worldview, and their whole lives are kind of coming out of and living into this different worldview, and it's different for us. Right, so as I've been preparing for this, it's been a bit tough. So if you have any comments or questions afterwards or any points of clarification, please feel free to email me. My email is on the website, and I love to set up a time for coffee for you. And James back there, and James is actually the expert on the topic. So just channel all of your uh, questions right to James. I'm sure he's going to love it. Uh, and I much appreciate it too. But it is uh, such a foreign topic for us, this concept of honor. Let me try to describe it a little bit. So in this world, everything that you did was uh, kind of in relation to showing your social kind of pecking order. You're trying to uh, get, gain esteem from others. Honor is this relational kind of thing. So it was given to you by others. And you would be doing things such as wearing clothes or showing off what you did for work or uh, showing your political connections, your connections to the religious authorities. You were trying to show to everyone else how high you were and the esteem that you had, and you were trying to show yourself as this greater figure, right? So everything that you did was kind of filtered through this lens, which is a bit different from us. But as we look to the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, there's three things I want to point out to us about honor. So what we see in Jesus, first we see that honor in the kingdom of God is different then honor in the world, how we pursue it. The second thing is that honor comes through service. The way we gain honor in the kingdom comes through imitating service. And the last thing is that honor and service requires humility. So those are three things that we're going to touch on today. And I'm going to be teaching uh, mainly from a passage in the Gospel of Mark. This is Mark 10, verses 35 through 45. So if you have your Bibles, would you open them up with me so you can follow along? Uh, and I'm going to read the passage first, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump in. So go ahead and open up your Bibles. This is Mark 10, uh, verses 35 through 45. And I have to find it as well. Let's see. All right, here we go. So here is Mark 10, 35. It's a long one, and there's a lot of, and he said this to him, and then he said this to him. So just bear with me. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. 
And he said to them, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they became indignant at James and John. And then Jesus called them all to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Would you pray with me? Father, we uh, believe these words were written down and inspired by your Holy Spirit, and we believe that these are uh, eyewitness accounts that Mark here is really recording events uh, that he got from people who saw, who were there, who heard, who listened, who were under the teaching and instruction of Jesus. And we believe they are written down for us, that we too may learn about you, uh, Jesus Christ, who you are, and how to live uh, in faithful obedience and following you. And so we ask today in your loving mercy that you would help us understand this text and this concept of honor and apply it to our lives. Uh, for we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the first point, honor in the kingdom looks different than honor in the world. James and John were seeking honor. They were seeking this position of greatness. And if you don't know who James and John were, they were a part of this group of people that were following Jesus. I mean, Jesus had these big crowds that would follow after him, bigger than the crowds of people here following after us up front, teaching and leading the way. He had these huge crowds, and they would follow him, and they would see him perform miracles. They were excited about it. They wanted to see what was going on with this Jesus guy here is teaching, and he would teach in these parables that would reveal about God and the kingdom, and people wanted to follow and check it out. And James and John were part of that group. But more than that, James and John were a part of the 12 disciples. So Jesus in particular called these 12 men to come and follow him, and they got a closer look at the life of Jesus. So Jesus would teach these parables, and the crowds may not always get it, and the disciples didn't get it either. But then Jesus would explain the parables to his 12 disciples. He would give them a greater insight about who God is and how his kingdom is moving and working. And James and John were a part of the 12 that got to understand that. But even more than that, James and John were a part of three disciples that were the closest to Jesus. So there's Peter, James, and John, these two brothers. And they were actually all fishing partners. When they were called to follow Jesus, they all had this kind of uh, I don't know, fishing partner relationship. They were all fishermen together. And so these three best friends were the three people that Jesus revealed himself most fully to. So there's the 12, and then there's the three, Peter, James, and John. And these were the closest to Jesus. You could say that they would know Jesus the best, the glory of Jesus, what he's teaching, all the miracles that he's done, the life of Jesus. And these are the people that are asking Jesus for the positions of honor. 
They were closest to them. They had the tie. So one day they were walking along the road and they were on their way up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast and celebration. So they were walking along the road a long day and then they see their opportunity and they ask Jesus, Teacher, will you do for us whatever we ask of you? And I think that's a very elementary question uh, to me. It seems like they're just trying to trap Jesus uh, and getting them, him to do whatever they want. I picture uh, someone in River Kids, a first grader, second grader, trying to trick their teachers by asking them this. Because if their teacher says yes, their leader says yes, then they can get whatever they want. And last week I was over there and I heard what they want. What they want for their birthday is a life-size gummy bear, as big as they are. Okay? And this is the exact same trickery question I could imagine them doing. Uh, and I think James and John, I don't know if they wanted gummy bears. Probably not. They weren't invented yet. But who knows? Divine providence could have brought them in. They would have loved it. But this question, and Jesus doesn't fall for the bait, whether or not it was a trick or not. Jesus responds, okay, well, what do you want from me? And he's asking them to reveal the intentions of their heart, how they're approaching Jesus, this question that they want that's going to show their desires. Do for us whatever you ask. This is what my heart reflects. And so Jesus asks them, and they respond, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. They're asking of Jesus for the positions of honor, for the position positions of prestige. Let's combine the two right there. They want to be right next to the king, and they're asking this, but they're asking it because they see Jesus in kind of a bit of the wrong light. They see Jesus as the king, most likely, as the one who's going to take Israel out of oppression from the Romans. I mean, the Israelites have been oppressed, been subjects to to the Romans for a long time. And Israel, all of Israel had been waiting for years and years and years for this king to come, the king that's been promised, the king that's been the hopes of all of Israel for so long, this anointed one of God who's going to lead Israel out of their subjugation from the Romans into this great new era where God would again show his mighty hand, that God would again establish his authority over the earth, and that this king all the nations of the earth would come to this king and bring gifts and blessings. They'd be recognized for this nation that was in a loving relationship with their God and there was glory and might. And James and John saw this Jesus as the person who was going to lead this revolution. Now it would have been an incredible revolution too because the Roman Empire was perhaps one of the greatest empires that's ever lived. Especially at that time in the Mediterranean world. I mean, there was like no known end to the expanse of the Roman Empire. And for Jesus to be the king that is going to like rise up over against the Roman Empire, to be greater than the Roman Emperor who is perceived as a god, for Jesus to be this high and above all else, and James and John think, hey, we got our ticket to the top right there. All the nations are going to be coming to us, and we get to be in these positions of authority. I mean, we're tied to Jesus. This is great. And this would have been such a step up from their previous life. I mean, James and John and Peter, they were fishermen. About 85% of people in that world at that time were living paycheck to paycheck. More like that. They were trying to survive. They were trying to get by. It wasn't exactly kind of this upper middle class stuff that we have here. 85% of the world was just trying to get by. 
And likely James and John and Peter were in that category of people. And so for them to be here, we're in that world, in the honor world, where you are known in part by what you do for a living, so they are probably down here, and they're thinking, okay, we get to be up top in the 1%. We get to be with the king over all. The king is going to be the greatest king in the known world, and we are right next to him. So they are seeing their ticket to the top, and they want it. But Mark in his gospel is very clear that this is not the way to the top. And the teaching of Jesus makes this very clear, too. Mark in his gospel, every time, there's three times that Jesus teaches about what it means to be great in the kingdom. And every single time Jesus teaches what it means to be great, it comes right after Jesus predicts his suffering. I mean, he is the king, he is the anointed one, the disciples see that. But when Jesus shares with them that he is going to suffer and die at the hands of the Romans, that he is going to be flogged and crucified, Mark structures his narrative that then the disciples ask him the question, what does it mean to be great? Who is the greatest? And Jesus teaches them that if you follow after me, you must give your life to save it. If you follow after me, those who are great are servants of all. So Mark makes it very clear to us through his narrative, how he's structuring these stories, that seeking greatness in the kingdom is not the way that the disciples were currently trying to do it. It's through suffering as demonstrated through the King Jesus. So we live in a different culture. We don't live in this honor-shame-based culture. It's different for us. It's foreign from us and takes a bit more work. But I still think that that same premise that seeking honor, seeking greatness, seeking prestige, seeking dignity, should call into question our system. And we do still pursue honor. We do still pursue greatness in our own lives. And I see that mostly coming through performance. Those that we esteem greatest in our culture are those who perform the best. Those whom we consider the most worthwhile to our society are those who perform the best, and we treat them differently. I mean, we, we know this because just recently there was someone who is incredible at hitting a tiny ball with a stick into a small hole. And he got into a car crash just in our backyard. And it made global news. Like right away, my BBC app showed me the car accident of Tiger Woods. And we are praying for his recovery. But we treated him differently. If that was someone else who just lived in PV, they wouldn't get the same global attention as Tiger Woods that we are esteeming people, that we value them with a certain degree based off how they perform. And I think this concept also applies to our students' lives, to the lives of adolescents. That we are communicating to them that their worth is based off of their performance. How well they do at school is how much they're worth. You know, you see this in the college application process that those who get into the better schools are somehow inherently worth more. Are those who perform the best on the baseball diamond, the dance studio, or whatever sport we play, are somehow worth more? We treat them differently. We treat the stars differently. If the head quarterback or the star quarterback of the football team couldn't make the team photo, we would probably reschedule the team photo for a different time. But if the water boy or water girl couldn't make the photo, we probably wouldn't think much about it. It's because we esteem people, we give value, we give dignity to people who perform the best. 
And I think Jesus would have us call that into question as well. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to perform well. I recognize that I'm in the midst of many people who have performed their best in their field. I think that's incredible in a lot of ways and an extreme gift. I don't think that that's wrong in itself. I don't think Jesus is calling to question those who are into these positions of authority or these positions of esteem and dignity. I think at a certain point, it's just how we use it. And I've seen and talked to many of you and am impressed and encouraged by the way that you use your position. So in that, the greatest in the kingdom is not the one necessarily who makes the most money, but the one maybe who serves. It may not be that she, the valedictorian, who studies the most, who works the hardest, is the greatest in the kingdom. But those who serve the most, who help their friends try to understand the concepts of the classroom. Perhaps on the sports field or in the business world, it might be those who serve the most and are the greatest in the kingdom. So again, it's not necessarily that's wrong, but it's just calling to question, seeing greatness through the lens of the gospel, of Jesus saying that those who want to be great must be servants. And the second point that I want to make, then, is that we achieve this greatness, we achieve honor through service. So let's jump back to that conversation. So Jesus shares with them that they don't really understand what they're asking, and he's referencing his death that's about to take place, and they don't quite get it. And then he sees the other ten disciples, Peter included, and they're angry at James and John because they want to be in those positions of honor as well. They want to be in the position of, of greatness, too, right next to Jesus. I mean, of course, I, I think many of us would want that position as well. Life would be made. But Jesus, again, sees the opportunity to teach them and to re-guide them, and he's going to re-guide us as well, and says, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. And if you want to be first, if you want to be in the position that James and John were seeking, you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It makes sense that the disciples didn't understand this because this was totally flipping their narrative of greatness and honor right on its head. Taking the form of a servant would have brought more dishonor. They would have lost face if they did that in their cultural setting. Let me provide an example that might clarify this a bit. So if a host, if someone was having a great banquet, the host would sit at the head of the table and those whom the host esteemed greatest, most honorable, would sit right next to them, and then on and on it would go, right? So if you were coming to the banquet, you would be evaluating yourself where you thought your position was in relation to everyone else, and you would try to sit, I mean, as close to the host as you thought yourself available to, how much honor you had. And so if the disciples were to take a position of servanthood, if the disciples were to do tasks that a servant would do, everyone else in the table would have thought that they should have been lower on the totem pole because they had less worth, less value, right? Value is in part attributed based off of what you did for a job for work. So if you were seen working as a servant or as a slave, you would have been esteemed lower, right? Those around you would have considered you and your family of a lower value, lower esteem. But Jesus 
flips this on its head. And he demonstrates this in his own life. You might be familiar with this story. It's the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So they were walking up to Jerusalem, and they got there for this Passover meal, and they were all going to have this dinner together. But before dinner, you need someone to wash your feet when you went into a home, because when you were walking around in the Mediterranean world on the dirt roads, the dust of the roads and the kind of sweat of your feet, I know it's a lovely image, would come together to perform this, uh, make this kind of muck, this like dirty substance. It's kind of grimy and gross. You might be familiar with it on your kids' feet. Um, so this is what was happening, and you needed to wash your feet because when you ate, they didn't have chairs. You would sit on your side, and your feet would be up next to you like this. Does that make sense? And so if you're sitting like this, and your feet are yucky and brown and gross, and it touches your robe back here, it would look like you had had an accident or something, some unfortunate thing. Right? So it was important that you wash your feet so you didn't get it onto the, the household, but also you didn't get it onto yourself. But washing someone's feet was such a low and menial task that no one wanted to do it. That was the task of a servant, of a lowest servant. So you can imagine the disciples all coming in one by one and seeing the job that needed to be done, but no one wanting to do it because they didn't want to lower their position. Because if they took the form of a servant, if they washed everyone else's feet, they would be seen lower, and perhaps they would have to sit farther away from Jesus at the table. They wanted to be close to the religious leader, the authority, and who they knew as the king. But Jesus does it. And the question is, why does Jesus do it? And John, in his narrative, allows us to see the mind of Jesus. And it's, I think, just beautiful and amazing that the, the way that John portrays this for us. He lets us know, he said, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, knowing that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus got up because he knew who he was. He was king. All things were under his authority. Think about this. All things. The Pacific Ocean, under his dominion. The ground that we are sitting on here, under his dominion. All things. All countries of the world, under his dominion. My life, under his dominion. Your life, under his dominion. Your children's lives, under his dominion. I know my parents are watching, so my kids, they really want them to happen, or will be under his dominion as well. All things. And he knows this. And he knows that he has come from God. John tells us this in the beginning of his gospel, that Jesus Christ is the one who created the world. He is the one who set the whole world into motion and is sustained through his word. He knows that he will return and be with God again he knows his position. He is the king, the Lord over everything. And he gets up from supper, from supper to wash his disciples' feet because he knows this. To be a king, to be in that position, means to take the form of a servant. To be in the character and nature of God means to take the form of a servant. This is huge. This is revolutionary. 
Jesus Christ is the king of the world. There is nothing outside of his domain, and he rules as a servant. This is what it means to be like God. My uh, professor of preaching had put it very well for me. He said, Jesus Christ is the king whose scepter is a towel. So if you don't know, a scepter is the big kind of like uh, rod or staff that's made of bronze or iron, and it's supposed to show the king's authority, right? It's this big thing. Imagine someone a bit bigger than me, though. I know I'm kind of scrawny, but someone else is big king, ruler, dominance, and authority showing their position of greatness. I mean, you could picture the Roman emperor in this position like this, but Jesus Christ is the king who rules with a towel, who rules in service. The towel is the tool of trade for a servant. What do you do with the towel but wash and clean? And Jesus Christ is the one who rules with the towel. This is what it means to be great. What it means to be great is to take the form of a servant. If you want to be great, if you want to be like the King Jesus, then we must too embody the form of a servant. We too must embrace this form. But it is difficult, isn't it? It is difficult because... It causes us to let go of our pride. So the disciples were all in this prideful competition with one another, trying to esteem themselves, trying to lift themselves up. And I know we all feel that as well. We want to outperform each other or outperform other people around us because we want to be seen in a better light. I think that's common and natural. But Jesus is sharing those who want to be great must be a servant. And it's difficult because we have to put our pride aside. So this brings me to the last point. That honor, seeking honor, seeking to give honor to others requires humility. So service is difficult. The early church, when they were reflecting on the life of Jesus, came up with this song. It was a great hymn and Paul, the Apostle Paul, records this in his letter to the Philippians. He uses this hymn as an an example, looking at the life of Jesus, how the Philippians ought to treat and behave one another. He said, you're, coming, you're supposed to consider others more highly than yourself. And you have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, he did not consider this equality with God something to be taken advantage of, but he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He took the form of a servant. And being found in this form ultimately leads to his death on the cross and then his exaltation. It was his servanthood that led to his glory. But that all started with Jesus emptying himself, this humility of God, knowing who he was, knowing his position as God, knowing his dominion over the whole world was not something to be taken advantage of. But he empties himself and takes the form of a servant. Putting our pride aside is a difficult thing, and I know by the grace of God, I need this too. So as each of us try to work this servanthood into our lives, I would encourage you to think about the relationships that you have in your life. I mean, the people that you interact with a lot, common and often. And the New Testament church was trying to take this concept and they were teaching it to the churches 
uh, that they were interacting with. So all the relationships that were common in their lives, they were trying to flip everything on its head and apply this idea of servanthood. And they gave the uh, concepts of uh, how are your relationships in the household? So children, parents, how do you live in service to one another? And he looked at the concept of the business world. In the home, it was closely related. Masters and your servants, how are you relating to one another in service and seeing that you are both under the authority of Jesus Christ? Husbands and wives, the same question. How are you both living under service and the authority of Jesus Christ to each other? And there's going to be other relationships that you have that you can work this out in, and I can't speak to all those relationships, but I do pray deeply that the Holy Spirit would guide each and every one of us to figure out ways that we may embody this into our own lives, that we may, too, follow after our King, the Great One who is over all, who shows us that to be great means to be a servant. That we, too, when we seek to live and embody the life of Jesus, that we also may be servants. So I'm going to pray for us, and then James will come and lead us in our uh, time of reflection. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we know that this uh, word and this teaching of yours is difficult. I know in my own life, the, aspire, uh, the aspiration for greatness uh, gets in the way of pride. And I imagine this is true for my brothers and sisters here. And we ask for your hand to come and work in our lives that we may learn and embody that service, that following after you and serving others is really what it means to be great. Would you lead us into that and show us who we are? So, Father, we love you and ask for your guidance from the Holy Spirit. We say this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you so much, Lou. Thank you for bringing the portrait of Jesus, the servant, and the, the Jesus way, the way of Jesus that is service. And that is humility. And so as we've been in this um, focus as a church, focusing on the art of following Jesus, the words and ways of Jesus of Nazareth, we have taken an opportunity in the service, just kind of baked into the, the time together to start the reflection process that we hope will then spill over into the rest of your week and the rest of um, whatever God's doing in your life this year in 2021 and so for those of you here today those of you um, watching at home those of you watching this at some other period of time during the week uh, we want to now invite you into a space and to reflect on like what what's God tapping you on the heart to maybe do with all this and to make it simple um, we've sort of broken it into these little categories. They're just made-up categories, but we've, we've used the metaphor of swimming. And for some of you right now, maybe um, the first step is a quick dip. It's just getting in the ocean, just kind of a little, getting in the, um, the presence of God and saying, all right, Lord, here I am. This week, I'm going to maybe listen to the, the podcast on honor that actually Kathy, Kathy did for us, and it's incredible. And just kind of take that five minutes and and listen and reflect. And for some of you, maybe it's the buoy swim. You want to go out past the break, outside that that orange buoy, and kind of go around. Well, that maybe that's 
you're going to take time, listen to the podcast. And then Kathy's provided this really incredible resource with some extra passages of scripture and some questions and some things to reflect with. So maybe that's what you do. And for some of you, you're like, I'm going peer to peer, like the full on peer to peer swim. I'm going to get in the water and I'm going for it. And so for you, maybe it's like watch the pot or listen to the podcast, do the, do the resource and then uh, read, read all of Mark. Just read the whole thing. Just go for it. Like dive through Mark and, and see what, what the Lord is speaking to you about honor and, and humility. So whatever you feel God tapping you, or maybe it's something else, we just invite you to process it with someone else this week. Um, get together with a, someone, find an apprentice, apprentice somebody that you can kind of just start asking these questions with. And so now uh, we'll give like a couple minutes to, in this service, just sit and process. And, um, and maybe if there's a couple of you that would be willing to serve right now, uh, through prayer, uh, we would love to have a couple people maybe just standing in the back, nice six feet distance of prayer. Uh, and if you want some prayer, maybe they'll come and uh, you can walk up to them and they'll pray for you. Anyone here volunteer to kind of just stand in the back just for a couple minutes? Uh, no big deal. You don't have to be like a pro prayer, just a prayer. Well, I'll be standing back there. And, um, and if you want some prayer, you can just come and find me. All right, good. Debbie's going to be right back over here to the my right, your left. And so if you want some prayer during this time, feel free to um, come and get some. And otherwise, just sit and reflect. And then, Amanda, would you just bring us into the worship since I'll be back there praying heartily for people. Um, so go ahead and uh, take a few minutes. And then when you hear Amanda starting to sing, you know it's time to jump in.
as you're processing and reflecting, um, if you're able to, if you're ready, I invite you to stand with us as we close together in just these two final worship songs.
can trust that you are our foundation and cornerstone. You are our living hope, Jesus. We stand on that promise this morning. Let's sing this together. How great the chasm.
give up a round of applause for the goodness of Jesus. Thanks for worshiping with us. We hope that you had a great time with the Lord and that you'll get into your notebooks this week and that we'll see you sometime this week in a community group, a small group hang, whatever that looks like. And online crew, we're thankful that you're with us this morning. We pray that you would feel the love of Jesus. We love you guys. Have a great day.